part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Today's teaching is by Pastor Daryl Ruiz. The last two weeks, if you missed it, were pretty heavy. We spent two weeks talking about military on Veterans Day and just how do we respond as Christians to a government that maybe you think is a little off base. Whether you do or not, you gotta, you got to admit that things are seemingly, uh, the foundations of our country maybe are a little shaky, right? And uh, maybe it's the same thing that our father and the father before him and the mother and the mother before them They all said in their own way, right? And maybe it's now our time to say what in the world is going on, our kids these days sort of statements. But nonetheless, we needed some sure footing. And so we talked about what it means to be a military as an arm of a divine institution of God. We talked about what it means to be a minister of God as a government and the responsibilities that our government has. The main purpose, though, wasn't to point at our government and point at our military and say, they should be doing this, amen, and we all, amen. That's not, that's not the goal. I hope, I hope that's not all you got out of it. The goal was for us as, as the believers to have a right perspective and, and more than that, a right attitude. I mean, when things go awry out there in, in, the, in the government of our nation, in the military even of our nation, when things go awry, we ought not be surprised. We are sinful humans, by the way. And so we spent some time talking about what our attitude should be. We looked at Daniel last week and how Daniel, king after king after king, remained faithful to his God, but also faithful to his leaders. I think that's the calling of the church, best we can, faithful to God, being a representative of God to those we serve here on this earth. That's a good stance. If you miss Daniel, grab a CD. This week, we, uh, we enter our Christmas season, and we're going to turn our attention, I would say, to the reason for it all. To the reason for it all. And by the reason, I don't mean to sound like a, uh, a trite bumper sticker right here. You know, you've seen those bumper stickers that come out around Christmas. Jesus, the reason for the season. That, that's not what I mean when I say the reason. What I mean to communicate is, is that the topic at hand, namely worship, as you see there on the screen... Worship is the reason, or you might say it is the the end purpose of all of life. The Westminster Shorter Catechism rightly states in its first line that the chief end of man is to glorify God. And worship is, in a word, the glorification of God. And so, I I don't know about you, but I find it uh, completely appropriate to preach on the topic of worship because it is the reason for this season. In any other season, for that matter. Jesus was born ultimately to be glorified and to be worshipped. Let me give you another reason for the series of messages you're about to sit through. No single word of Christianity um, or topic of Christianity has consumed more of my personal and professional um, attention than the concept and the implications that surround the idea of worship. It's the first thing I've, uh, if, if the first thing I've said is true, meaning the first thing I've said that, that 
that worship is the reason for it all. If that's true, then it makes sense that, that it seems to infiltrate everything I think about personally and professionally. The worship of God seems to find its way into my heart over and over again. It seems to find its way into my mind, as it should every true believer, I would say. And it does so on a variety of occasions. Put another way, everything seems to have something to do with the idea of my worship in my life. I don't know if you've ever sensed that, but I just, I can't get away from it. Personally or professionally, as, as a leader of a church, as a congregation. Putting those two reasons together leads me to a third reason for this series. If worship is the reason for it all, so to speak, and it seems right to consume so much of a believer's thinking, then it, then it ought to be a helpful thing for us to spend some time drawing some conclusions on the topic. Right? Amen? It would be helpful for us to think more about worship. If worship is the end of all things, if it's the reason for all things, if it is the glorification of God, and if you, like I, have found that it just seems to infiltrate all of our thinking... It seems to be a part of every way we turn as believers. Then putting those two things together should mean that maybe we ought to spend some time figuring out exactly what it means to be worshipers or to worship. There are many topics that I could spend seven weeks rambling on about that uh, would give you bits and pieces of helpful information for life. But if we can come to some conclusions concerning a topic so great, that would actually be worth our time. It'd be worth my preparing and it'd be worth your receiving. Amen? All right, so those are my three precursors to why this series on worship in the Christmas season. Let me give you um, three statements that might help set the stage for this topic. And they're not my statements. They come from another pastor, a guy named Alistair Begg, who I like to listen to. Maybe some of you have heard him, Scottish-American pastor in uh, Cleveland, Ohio, I think. He began a series on worship with these three statements, and uh, I can't seem to get away from them. I think you would do well to maybe jot them down and consider them as we enter into our own series on worship. So here they are, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time preaching these. They'll get unpacked in the next six weeks. This is, as you see on the screen, an introduction to the series. But keep these three statements in mind as we go through and unpack the who, what, when, where, why, and the sometimes how of the matter, all right? His first statement was this, God, and I wish I could do the Scottish accent because when you have that kind of accent, you just sound cooler, right? And you just sound more important. Whatever the guy says, you just say, man, that just sounds so scholarly, you know? But I can't do it, so I'll not try. It'll come out Jamaican or something. God is not indifferent as to whether we worship, number one. If you want to write something down, write that down. As we go into this series, maybe it'd be helpful for you just to get this as a foundational statement. God is not indifferent as to whether or not we worship. In other words, worship is not an elective course in Christianity. It's a required course. It's not something you can, as a believer, somehow opt out of. You know that. 
Worship is required of all men. And it will be had by God. Now or later. Is that right? It will. It's not an option. Scriptures tell us that Jesus humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of the highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. And Paul is quoting Jesus himself here. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. To the glory of God the Father, he will get what is due him. Now or later. Sometimes it seems that we have, take it a, we have a, a take it or leave it sort of mentality towards worship. That maybe some of us think that, that worship wasn't the spiritual gift that we were given. It's not a spiritual gift that maybe you got overpassed with. Worship is for all of the children of God. Worship is for all of creation, as a matter of fact. Scripture says that the rocks will cry out when we do not. His heavens declare His handiwork. Worship is not a... It's not an option. God is not indifferent as to whether we worship And neither should we be. Neither should we be. Statement number one. Let me give you the second statement. He went on to say God is not indifferent as to the object of our worship. God is not indifferent as to the object of our worship. John 5, 22, Jesus said, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto, who is it? The Son. That all men should honor who? The Son. Even as they honor the Father. Even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father, which hath sent him. Put another way. If you want to know whether worship is right, does it include Jesus? Does it include the Son? If you want to know in your evaluation of all the different religious systems of the world, where it fits in God's opinion, Look for the person of Jesus. Is he there? Is he exalted to the right hand of the Father? Is he honored as the Father is honored? If he is not, guess what? That system of religion does not qualify as worshiping God's estimation. God is not indifferent as to the object of our worship because there is only one God. He alone can be worshiped. I mean, that sounds like a simple and obvious statement, but we've got to understand that. There is only one God, and so only He can be worshipped. Jesus Himself made it clear that there are not many roads leading to the Father, didn't He? He said, I and I alone am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. What do you do with Jesus is what you need to ask of whatever system you run into in this world. Whatever the opinions of men are, whatever men have fashioned to be a religious system, you've got to ask, what do you do with Jesus? That's a perfect place to start because God is not indifferent as to the object of our worship. Systems of religion that do not honor the Son have missed the mark. This statement is particularly important since we live in a society that elevates things like subjectivism and syncretism The idea that whatever you want to believe is fine as long as you believe it wholeheartedly. 
And your neighbors, Alistair Begg put it this way, will be fine when you go to them tomorrow and you say something like, I had a wonderful day worshiping my God yesterday. So long as it's okay with you that they can reply, well, I had a wonderful day yesterday worshiping my God. But anytime we get into any sort of exclusivism, any sort of black and white statements that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life, guess what? That's when we run headlong into our society, our culture, that says, no, we have to be tolerant of all these ideas. This God is just as good as this God. But God is not indifferent as to the object of worship. All men worship, by the way. Do you know that? All men worship. The question is, are our sights set correctly on the object, the true object of true worship? God is not indifferent as to whether we worship, nor is he indifferent as to the object of our worship. Let me give you one more. God is not indifferent as to the manner of our worship. God is not indifferent as to the manner of our worship. And Begg makes a distinction here that by manner, he does not mean mode or style. Mode and style might change from one church to another in this small town. Mode and style might change from one culture to another, from one community to another, from one state to another, from one region to another, from one area of this globe to another. Amen? If we could be dropped in to uh, our friends in Jamaica right now, we might find different modes and different styles of worship than you would be accustomed to. The question is not mode nor style. The question is, are we correct in manner? Are we correct in manner? John 4, Jesus meets the woman at the well. He confronts her with her sin. And what does she do? She doesn't end around. She says, well, let's talk theology for a moment. She skirts the issue by going to a topic that she thought would be debatable. Some people worship over here. Others worship over here. This is my translation. My summary. What is, what is the right place? What is the right way? Where, where is the real deal worship happening, Jesus? Jesus' response to her is, it's neither here nor there that you need to be concerned about. What we need to be concerned about is whether or not we worship in the right, we might say, manner. Are we worshiping in spirit and in truth? Now, that might be fleshed out in many different ways. But make, make no mistake, God is not indifferent as to the manner of our worship. He has an opinion there. Do you know? Do you know what it is? So that's where we're going. That's where we're going over the next six weeks. We're going we're gonna to attack this topic by talking about the who, the what, the when, the where, the why, and the sometimes how of what it means to worship. Because if it, is the, if it is the glorification of God, and if it is the end purpose of man to glorify God, to worship God in that sense, then it's a pretty important topic. Do we know what God's stance is? 
Do we know what his word says? Be clear. He's not indifferent as to whether or not we worship. We can't get away from it. You will be required to worship. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. He's not indifferent as to the object of the worship. We don't have options. There is only one to be worshipped. He's not indifferent as to the manner of our worship. Scripture speaks to how it is carried out, what our heart should be, what our attitude should be, what our motives should be. Do you know the answers to those questions? Let me tell you this. The answers to those questions, I think, will be not only valuable to you, but they will be valuable as your children grow and start to see the landscape of options, of religious options among our culture, probably when they get to university and they turn around and they scratch their head and say, Dad, why is it you landed on this Jesus and not this guy? Why is it that you worship and we have worshipped him and not him? There will be that point in time. And they will ask you, well, hopefully they'll ask you and not ask somebody else, maybe not a professor that holds varying views. Hopefully you have raised them in such a way that they, they feel right to come back to you and ask you that that conversation is open and ready at that right time. But that, that thought will cross their mind. At some point, they will, have to, they will have to come to that fork in the road where they say, is this, is this worship right when it is on God the Father, the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? Or is there another way that maybe mom and dad missed? I think some of the answers to why we worship him, how we worship him, what do we worship about him, etc., will help give you ammunition. For these, our older children who are in service with us today, they're going to ask these questions. We need to be ready. Let me close with this. The impulse to worship is universal. If there is a race or a tribe anywhere in the world that does not worship, it has not been yet discovered. And yet, the act of worship is, for the most part, so imperfect, so impure, and so far astray that any teaching that might help us worship God more acceptably would be indeed a word well spoken. Why don't you pray with me? We're going to ask God to give us a word well spoken to help us make perfect that which is unfortunately so imperfect in many of our churches, namely our worship. Lord, we've taken just a short introduction to the topic that is... uh, probably in need of many more weeks than seven to be fully unpacked, but we're going we're gonna to give it a shot this holiday season. Might we, in our spirits and in our hearts, find it to be in the exact right season that we would be talking about your glorification, your praise, worship in spirit and in truth, and all that that means, that we would, that we would be able to look at worship from different perspectives and different angles Lord, I pray that doing so, we would understand better what it means to worship the one who is found laying as a babe in a manger. Emmanuel, God with us, 
sent from heaven to be clothed in human flesh, to live a righteous, holy, and pure, and perfect life in order to become a sacrifice on our behalf, to be broken and poured out for us, be sacrificed, crucified, buried, but resurrected and raised to the right hand of your throne, Father. That all the earth would be put in subjection under him. That we might become his footstool. That we might understand what it means to worship that God, that King. Give us clarity, Lord. We need need a word well spoken from from not this table, but from your word and from heaven on high. Holy Spirit, teach us things that uh, no pastor can. Teach us things that no commentary or book or human can. Holy Spirit, teach us things beyond our own capability of understanding. Holy Spirit, speak directly to our spirits and do work in the darkness of our hearts that only you can do, Holy Spirit. We need divine intervention to understand the, the depth the mysteries that we find when we begin to consider what it means to worship a living creator God. There's a whole lot, Lord, that worship does not mean. We've got a whole lot to wade through when it comes to all that comes to mind when we think about worship. Give us discernment and clarity. We pray in the name of your Son. Amen. I don't know about you, but um, worship is very often in my life probably a miss. It's a miss of the target. There are things, if you were in worship and prayer this morning and you jotted down the things that come to mind when you think about what worship is, there are probably a number of things on that list It would not be on God's list, perhaps. Ricky's going to sing a song as we get ready to close. Why don't you just stay seated and uh, contemplate the words of the song as we enter a new series. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.